I'm Todd Starnes, and I have the wonderful privilege to be the pastor of Odessa First Assembly. And we are grateful that you're joining us for this podcast. It is growing and it's exciting. So please take time to like, to follow, to share whatever social media platform you're joining us on. I'm excited about this series. We are looking at Passover to Pentecost. What happened in between the resurrection and the ascension? And then what happened on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed? I pray that these messages will bless you, encourage you. So let's jump right in to this week's message. Passover to Pentecost, part six. We are looking at Matthew chapter 28. And this morning, we're going to tackle the subject of discipleship. And so this morning, maybe a little more on the teaching end than this like preaching. Um, but I want you to bear with me. This is so important for us to get a hold of. This is what the scripture teaches us about discipleship. But we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 28. You're probably extremely familiar with these couple of verses, but we're going to read them together. Matthew chapter 28, looking in verse 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. The scripture tells us this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Didn't you know, we talked about that last week about believe, right? And here, but so, we don't know that it's the, exactly the eleven that doubted. There could have been some others there. But anyway, it says some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which we're actually going to do this morning in just a, a, couple, a few moments, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, once again, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the life in your word, the power of your word, the truth of your word. And I pray that our hearts would be good soil, ready to receive your word, and that we'd see a harvest 30, 60, 100 times that which is sown. I pray that what we hear today, that we would not leave this place forgetting what we heard, but we want to be doers of your word. We want to be conformed, challenged, and, and restored and renewed because of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And just really quick, I do want to add this. We have a couple of baptisms. June 5th, we're going to have another baptism um, because it didn't work out for them today. Listen to me. I know we got to set this tank up. we got to fill it up. But it it doesn't matter if it's 1 or 50. When somebody wants to be baptized, this is so important scripturally, we're going to do baptism. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. And so maybe you are kind of, you know, you're like, I don't want to be the only one. It's okay. But uh, if you want to sign up and just let us know, we're going to have another one June 5th. So as I was thinking about this, you know, when you look at our church culture in the United States, I, I, we really need a wake-up call. Listen to me. I know a lot of churches are good at getting the crowd. A lot of churches are good at getting attendance. A lot of churches are good at getting members. A lot of churches are good at connection and making those assimilation points. A lot of 
churches are good at worship. A lot of churches are good at class. You know, there's a lot of churches good at a lot of things. It doesn't mean they're producing disciples. Now, does it mean it's because you're a big church that you're not producing? Absolutely not. I mean, there's heroes, men of God that have really big churches that I look up to that I think do not water down the gospel, but bring the truth of the gospel out. And, and I, I listen to their podcasts and watch them when I can and things of that nature. But listen to me, just because there's a crowd doesn't mean that life change is happening All that is good, but we need lives to change. There are some sobering statistics about discipleship. I want you to process this just for a moment. What Barna, they're a research group that does a lot of research within churches and, and Christianity. The average Christian in the United States stops maturing after three years. Process that's that for a moment. I mean, some of us, I mean, I've been in church, I mean, I've been in church all my life, but I mean, I've really been in, you know what I mean, for I think 27 years, and I know that pales in comparison to many, but could you imagine a bunch of three-year-olds running around? But that tends to be the American church. Think about this, a survey among pastors said they believe that only 1% of the Christians in their congregation are truly discipled. That's perspective of a pastor. On the flip side, the perspective of the congregation, it was about 52% were truly discipled. And that's an interesting chasm there. But what is a disciple? What is, I mean, we got to start off just really defining, looking at what it means. What is a disciple? Disciplined learners and followers of Jesus who live by his commands and are continually growing in their relationship with him. To be a disciple means disciplined learners and followers of Jesus but who live by his commands. It's just not learning about Jesus. It's not saying that you're a follower of Jesus, but you're living by the way that Jesus commanded us to live, and it's a continual look. If, you're, if you got your notebook and you're the, you're the fill-in-the-note person, I mean, underscore that, circle it, continually growing. A disciple is continually growing in their relationship with him. What is discipleship? Discipleship is the process of devoting oneself to the teacher to learn to become more like him. I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 20, but Jesus said, as a father is sending me, so I am sending you. I mean, Jesus was saying, in the way that I went out, in the way that I spoke truth, in the way that I had compassion, the way that I taught you 12 men, the way that the way I did life, look how I did life and do it just like me. Okay, I'll say that again, Siri. (laughs) That's what you get, Apple. You're going to get saved. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) so discipleship, devoting oneself, and think about this devoting who. 
Who does the devoting? You do. I can't do that for you. Grandma can't do that for you. Great-grandma and granddad can't do that for you. You have to do it for yourself. It's a process of learning the teachings of Jesus. There are a lot of Christians that don't know the teachings of Jesus very well. Following his example through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the only way that I can live like Jesus, the only way I can go the way that Jesus went is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of him at work within me. Discipleship is not just becoming a disciple. Listen, we we would love to ignore this point, but I'm not going to let you. Discipleship is not just becoming a disciple, but making other disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That make disciples that make disciples. If you're a first-generation believer and the only generation believer, you need to answer the call to make disciples. A.W. Tozer, I love something he said. He said, only a disciple can make a disciple. We are called, if you didn't know, we are called to be disciples. And I know some may be thinking right now, well, I, you know, I just don't know if I'm there yet. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to silence that, that myth and that misunderstanding in just a few moments. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and what you have heard from me, this is Paul writing Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men, entrust the faithful people who will also be able to teach others. That's a scripture that tells us we're disciples that help make other disciples, that they make disciples, and they make disciples, and they make disciples. So what are the keys to discipleship? Discipleship only happens in community. Listen, I... I, Listen, God can do anything that he wants. The scripture, matter of fact, the psalmist wrote that God can do whatever he pleases. And I, I know there may be exceptions to the rule. Uh, maybe that God does something, somebody gets saved, and something, you know, that, you know, that was kind of like what happened to Paul. I mean, like, you know, where Paul got his discipleship was from Jesus, <laughs> you know. Um, he, you know, he disappeared in the desert for three years, and anyway. But that's, that's the exception to the rule. Listen to me. Discipleship only happens in community. It only happens when you're rubbing shoulders with each other. It only happens when you're faithful on a Sunday morning worship service. It only happens when you're faithful to your connect group. It only happens when you get in a community with like-minded, like-faith believers. That's where discipleship happens. There was a man by the name of Robert Coleman. He said this, having called his men, talking about Jesus, having called his men, Jesus made a practice of being with them. This was the essence of the training program, just letting the disciples follow him. You see, discipleship is taught and caught. Discipleship is taught and caught. It's just not taught and it's just not caught. When you look at the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost, you see two verses. I, actually, it's the whole, kind of the whole Acts 2, 40-ish um, verses. But I want to only point out two, Acts 42, 
uh, Acts 2.42 and Acts 2.46. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostle. They, that's the one self. Are you following me? Teaching the fellowship, the bringing of bread and prayers. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, going to a place of worship, and breaking bread in their homes. Coming together in a small community, and that's where discipleship takes place. Discipleship happens, listen to me, if, if, if right now me behind a, a glass pulpit on a stage is the only gospel that you're hearing, is the only breaking forth of the, bre- the word of God that you're hearing, that is not true discipleship. It's a both and. Discipleship is living close to the heart of God. I I love you guys. You also love me. I love y'all. I know this may not be an easy thing to hear, but discipleship is living close to the heart of God. I mean, John 15, 5 still tells us, I'm the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever abides in me, and I in him, He'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. We have to be close to the heart of God. Eli Gotro, he's kind of, he got, he's, very, he's responsible really for the movement we're seeing in our alphas right now across the nation and, and especially in our state. They've impacted so many of just renewal and a shift and explosion and salvation and, and it's awesome things happening. Sam Houston State, Texas A&M, Texas Tech. I mean, there's so many, New Mexico State. I mean, there's just so many where we see the, this is renewal happening. And this is something that he said. Discipleship is ultimately taking responsibility to what is close to the heart of God. I mean, the only way that, we're, it's not just getting close to the heart of God, but understanding his heart and taking on his heart. Christ does not intend for his followers to simply for us to make converts to Christianity. He wants us to train and to mentor, to live life with people. He wants us to faithfully follow those in our life that have like precious faith and also lead others. But here's the problem. We have created an atmosphere that believe in Jesus but don't follow him. And that's the church's fault. That's our fault. A lot of people, really, Jesus, like, you know, listen, you know, there's the t-shirts. I don't know if you see the t-shirts, you know, Jesus is my homeboy, you know. Or maybe the bumper sticker, God's my co-pilot. And that's the way a lot of people live life. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is not our homeboy. And God is not my co-pilot. He is the pilot. And so we have, we have created this atmosphere. I mean, people believe in him. It's like, you know, they, they look at Jesus the way they look at maybe George Washington or somebody. You know, yeah, he was a guy in history. He said some good stuff, made some impact, and I live in a free nation because of him. But Jesus, it's far more than that. A lot of people believe in Jesus, but we also have to follow Jesus. We have to live life the way that Jesus lived life. That's what makes us a disciple. To say you believe in Jesus, but not to follow Jesus, empties belief of its meaning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Siri, I'm going to say that again. 
To believe Jesus but not follow empties belief of its meaning. We must surrender and we must follow. So what is, what, what's this process of discipleship? Okay, we're going to do this really quick. Discipleship starts with conversion. Discipleship starts with conversion. You know, I pointed out about the crowds in Matthew 28, 16, and it says that, you know, there's the 11, and they went to Galilee to a mountain which Jesus had directed them to. We don't know exactly what mountain that was because Scripture doesn't tell us. But here's what we do know is that in the book of Matthew, it's over a dozen times that Matthew talks about a mountain and he uses it as a point of revelation. The Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 4, the, the, the temptation of Jesus. The Mount of Transfiguration. Twelve times when Matthew talks about Jesus in a mountain, it's a point of revelation. Why do I say it that way? It's because we need that encounter with Jesus. Our conversion takes place on the basis of both truth and an experience. Come on, I'm preaching really good right now. Truth and experience. The Bible tells us in John 6, that no one comes to the Father unless Jesus draws them. That's an encounter. But we also understand that we can't fully convert unless we understand what we're converting from. We have to understand that we were born into sin. And that Jesus came to become the supreme sacrifice that we might have forgiveness of sin. You can't get saved unless you know what you're getting saved from. Otherwise, you're just an emotional convert. You really haven't had that encounter of truth with Jesus. I mean, Matthew 18, 3 in the New American Standard, I really like, you know, in, in, in ESV, just to, I, just, I guess, stay a little consistent, it says, unless you turn and become like children, unless you turn. I love the New American Standard because it actually uses the word, unless you are converted. Unless you are converted. Encounters convert. Listen, I remember, I remember all those times as a, as a young teenager going to the altar and shedding some tears and blowing some snot bubbles, but leaving that altar and nothing ever really changing. I, I remember responding to altar calls and receiving a lot of prayer because I needed breakthrough in my life and people gathering around me and praying and praying in the Spirit and praying earnestly, but leaving from the front of that altar and going back to my seat and nothing really changing. But I'm going to tell you something else. I, I, and I remember reciting the salvation prayer over and over and over. I mean, you guys know, you, you know my, like, my little thing, right? That you know, I grew up in a small town, small church. One year we had 52 conversions. They were all me. Listen, I repeated that prayer a lot. And nothing ever, nothing ever really changed. But I remember the Sunday night in Midland, Texas, in February of 1994, where I knelt down on the front left pew of that church, and I encountered a holy God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I got up that night, everything changed. That's conversion. That's conversion. 
What does the word conversion mean? It, it, it means turning. It means turning away from that path I was on and going on a different path. Too many of us are trying to say that we're following Jesus but going the same way that we were going. Living life the same way that we were living. Our speech is not changing. Our habits are not changing. What we watch and listen to is not changing. I mean, you, I'm not a soapbox preacher, guys, but listen, when you encounter a holy God, something needs to change inside of our life. We don't talk the way that we talk. We don't live like what we live. We're not held by the bondages that we were held by. Something needs to change. Listen, if you were a grade-A jerk and you get saved, you don't need to be a jerk anymore. It's a dramatic turning to one path in order to pursue, pursue a new one. Conversion also involves the idea of changing direction. I mean, it, it's something radical that happens in our life. And listen, I know, I get it sometimes. I, I, you know, I don't know why God does the way he does things sometimes. I mean, Scripture tells us his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. I've seen people in an instant, in a moment, delivered from deep-rooted addictions, whether it be drugs or alcohol, whatever the lifestyle may be. And yet I have seen sincere people give their heart and life to the Lord, but they need, they need extra to come along. Maybe a teen challenge or a sobriety. You know, they need something to happen in their life that helps them get on that path. It doesn't mean that they're weak. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. Whatever reason, God, he, he uses all kinds of methods. And some of us, you know what, things do happen. And, and, but, you know, and, and then sometimes it's not always an instant but I, listen to me as I, as I say this to you. God will never deliver you from something you love. If you love that it, whatever it is, more than God, you'll always struggle with the it. Conversion is, is just a complete changing. It, conversion is, is, listen to me, conversion is not gradual change like sanctification even though our actions may not meet up with what God has done in our heart the reality is is that God has done something in us that has changed us does that make sense instead of a genuine conversion I, we we just need that deep work to break the old patterns of sin in our life it affects the entire mind affections it's a, something that happens that's radical. So what does conversion do? What does conversion initiate? What it's the, what it, what's the incentive? What's the, the catalyst? Listen, what happens at conversion is death to self. Discipleship continues it, but conversion initiates it. Conversion initiates submission to the lordship of Jesus. Discipleship continues it, but conversion initiates, the, initiates it. Hatred of sin. Discipleship continues it. But conversion brings a hatred to sin. And listen, it's like I was saying earlier. If you still love the sin, you're going to repeat the sin. You're going to repeat the pattern. You're going to repeat the process. 
So we see in Luke chapter 14. So I want to talk about discipleship just for a few moments longer. I'm, boy, my, my timer, okay, so we can do this. Luke 14, 25. We're, I want to look, if you, if you have your actual Bible or you have your, your, uh, your, your e-Bible, you might have a heading on there, and that heading will be the cost of discipleship. I mean, you know, the, the headings we see in our Bibles, they're not inspired, right? So just so you understand that. But in Luke chapter 14, we see kind of an unfolding of Jesus talking very directly about discipleship. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, it says, Now great crowds, listen to that again, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them. And so he initiates this conversation. So there's this great crowd. Remember, the crowd doesn't necessarily mean, right, that they're all disciples, but he's going to bring a truth to them. And we see all through the New Testament, we see crowds following Jesus. We, you know, crowds welcomed him on Palm Sunday. Jesus was attracted crowds, tons of uncommitted people, most of them just looking for something. Hey, maybe he'll give us some bread and fish again. Maybe, he'll, maybe we'll see him heal somebody. Maybe he'll make my life easier for a little bit. But in 1426, he goes on to say, if anyone comes to me and does not have hate for his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, his own life, look what it says. He cannot be my disciple. How many of you have ever been like in your daily reading and you read this passage and you're like, okay, I'm just going right over that. He cannot. I mean, those are strong words from Jesus. He cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus teaching us? So let, let's kind of go back. So if anyone comes to me, he does not hate. Look, look at, look. So the, I've added the emphasis if it shows up. Yeah. So I've added the emphasis. That's not, I'm just trying to draw this out. Hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brother, and sister. If you don't hate your mother, brother, wife, children, sister, I mean, I, you know, some of these I'm like, well, you know, they may be kind of easier. He cannot be my disciple. It's not, it, it's not saying that you go towards hatred to your family, but it means, this is, this is, listen to me. This is, so if you never really understood what this means, this is what it means. It means you had better love the ones you love most less than you love me. That's what it means. It means you should love those less than how you love me. That's what Jesus is saying. A disciple will elevate the relationship with Jesus above every relationship. A disciple will elevate their relationship with Jesus above every relationship. I think I've, I've shared this before, but when I, when I first, that night in February, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I mean, God, I'm going to tell you, God... He did a number on me, man. He just really did. And it was nothing like I'd ever had experienced before. And, and uh, I, you know, wouldn't, I've been open how I live life and all that kind of stuff. But I was, I was seeing a girl at the time. And she was a good girl, a good Church of Christ girl. And, and, but neither one of us were saved. And 
Um, I remember that night. I mean, the first thing I knew to do, and I, we had been we had been seeing each other for about three years, two and a half, three, something like that. It's hard to remember back that far, but uh, I, that's the first thing I did when I left the church. I I went over to her house and uh, I said, "Hey, I went to church tonight." She says, "You what?" <laughs> she said, "I went to church tonight, and and God, He did something inside of me, and." Um, and I, you know, I truly believed I loved this young lady. And I told her, I said, listen, I said, for us to continue our relationship, three things have to happen. One, you've got to get saved. Two, you've got to get filled in the Holy Spirit. And three, you've got to get called to ministry because God did all three for me tonight. And, I mean, she, of course, she, I mean, look at me at Catherine Newgate. And I said, I'll pray with you right now. And uh, she started crying. I was like, okay, that's my answer. See you later. I said, that's literally what I did. I'm not saying that that was the 100% right way to do it, but then yet it was. You hear me? Something, when we, when we come to Jesus and that conversion happens in us, we, sometimes we try to make so many excuses of why we can't follow him. Of why we... But I, I mean, because really, when you really think about it, the risk of what we'll lose is, is tremendous. But to really to be a disciple, you leave the nets and you follow him. A disciple will elevate their relationship with Jesus above every relationship. Matter of fact, and I, I'm just, I know this is a little bit of rabbit trail, but I, I've never really preached on this publicly. I've had a lot of personal conversation I want to remind you something that scripture says. Listen, I'm, I'm going to share with scripture, and I, I really, I, I, I share this out, out of the love, not, I mean, for just, not just you, but just people. People need to get a hold of this. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now listen to me. That doesn't apply to you if you're already married. But if the ring ain't on the finger... Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, look what it says. And yes, even his own life. Even his own life. A disciple will choose the will of the Lord over their own. I, so at some point, I'm going to preach on this. I, have, I don't know why it's gripped my heart so much, but since Easter... I've been reading over and over and over Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's always left out at me, but for, I mean, I've just really been meditating, praying when Jesus knelt down and he, you know, he said, Lord, he said, he said, Father, if you will take this cup, take it. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. See, we're supposed to follow Jesus. It's like Jesus lived. I, I can imagine the moment of our Lord and Savior, that moment in the garden. I mean, think about the words that he's praying. If you'll take it, Lord, I'll give it. I'll give what's about to happen back to you. Think about that moment. But if not, I'm all in. A disciple will choose the will of the Lord over his own. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I talked about a few moments earlier, 
that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but it says in there, you are not your own. When you come to Jesus and that conversion, that regeneration, that work happens in your life, you are no longer your own, but you belong to him. I mean, some of us need to take off the enemy's letter jacket. <laughs> I wish I had a letter jacket right now. You know, take, take the boyfriend's you know, ring off that we taped up with a Band-Aid so we could wear it. Do they even still do that anymore? I think my rings in a field somewhere from a girl throwing it. Anyway, um, Luke 14, 27, it says, bear his own cross and come after me. A disciple will serve God regardless of the earthly outcome. A disciple will serve God regardless of the earthly outcome. The audience knew exact when Jesus said, bear your own cross, the audience knew exactly what he was talking about because they lived in a Roman Empire and crucifixion was the mode of execution in the Roman Empire. And so when he said, bear your cross, bear your cross, they knew exactly, listen to me, when we follow Jesus, it doesn't always mean that we're going to be financially blessed. It doesn't mean that everything in life is going to go perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get the diagnosis that you don't want. It doesn't always mean that. But what it means is, regardless of what happens to me on this earth, I'm going to follow him. It doesn't matter what happens to me here. I've got a home in eternity. It doesn't matter what happens to me here. I've made preparations for a heavenly home. Come on, somebody. We cannot let what's happening, the circumstance around us, determine about whether we're going to serve God or not. Listen, I don't care if what president's in the office. I don't care what happens to inflation. I'm going to serve Jesus, and he's going to be the center of it all. I'm not going to let everything around me toss me to and fro. I'm not going to let personal relationships toss me around and make me doubt God. I'm not going to allow uh, something unforeseen happening and throwing me in the depths of debt to think and, and, and me say that God doesn't provide. My situation does not change who God is. A disciple will serve God regardless of their earthly outcome. I got to close. I, I'm, I'm, I'm seven minutes over. You probably didn't know that, but I am. So, really quickly, matter of fact, if you're here and we have a couple of baptisms, we wanted you to go ahead and get ready. And um, uh, you can use the restrooms or, the, or, or, or in the back. We're, we're hitting the landing strip. And so, we want to celebrate that. I'd encourage you to stay to see these baptisms. But here's, here's what I want to close with is don't leave discipleship up to the professionals. Don't leave discipleship up to the professionals. See, I'm, what I'm asking you to do is this. Where you are, where you're sitting, don't look up here at me and say, oh, he can do it. That's, that's my plea. That's what I'm asking of you. Don't, don't leave it to me. Don't leave it to a leader of a woman's class or a leader of a men's class or a small group leader. 
Don't leave discipleship up to the professional. I, I'm going to show you something that's very quickly. In Matthew 28, 10, go therefore make disciples. Go therefore make disciples. Go there. There's a literal Greek meaning to this. And what it means is the word go in Matthew 28, 19 could mean as you are going. As you are going, go make disciples. Are you following me? This is pretty cool. When you, as you are going, you go make. Can I remind you again, John 20, what I preached a few weeks ago? As a father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As you are going, you go make disciples. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, when you've reached a point of maturity, go make disciples. He doesn't say, when you've been saved 20 years, go make disciples. He doesn't say, when you've been saved 10 years, go make disciples. He says, as you are going, go make disciples. It's not implying that you have to be perfect to make disciples. It's not implying that only pastors make disciples. It's not implying that it's only the evangelists to make disciples or some ministry leader to make disciples. As you are going as a disciple, disciple somebody and they're growing. As you are going... In your, as you are growing as a disciple, disciple somebody and they're growing. Bring somebody along with you. It didn't take Andrew two seconds when he met Jesus to go find his brothers and he says, I think I found the guy. Come and see and brought his brothers. He, I mean, he, he didn't even sure what was going on yet and he was already going getting people and bringing them to Jesus. You can't tell me that Andrew was perfect in that moment. Man, he did it immediately. Don't do life alone. We want to do life together as you are growing as a disciple. Disciple somebody and they're growing. But how that happens is you're rubbing shoulders with people. And you see things. Now granted, to disciple somebody, it takes a willingness on their part. I mean, it is a two-way street. There's no doubt about it but you'll know really quick if you see somebody running headlong towards a mistake you're like hey buddy man i've i've been there <laughs> um you might be making a mistake they're either going to be like oh tell me really how or they're going to be like oh pff, i got this All right, do you hear me and so I know it takes a double thing, but here's the other side. It's just not about you discipling somebody, but it's about you being discipled. Listen, I don't care how long you've been saved, whether you're a deacon, whatever, it, it doesn't matter what, where you are in the hierarchy, if nobody can tell you anything, you know, I, I'm thinking of, the you know the in 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 Gaval guy whatever here's your son you know you might not be a disciple here's your son because what is what is, what is a disciple learning and following I want you to stand with me this morning wow thank you so much for joining us it's such an honor that you would listen to our podcast I hope and pray that you are ministered to in a very special way. Don't forget, this goes out on several different platforms. It goes out Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, 
Podbean. If you would, like, share, help us get the word out. If you want more information about us, just go to odessafirst.com or any of the social media platforms. God bless you.